And oh, how merciful our God has been to us. Eh? He's so great. He's so great. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 7. I ask you who are the people of the Lord. Is anything too hard for our king? Is there anything too hard for our Lord to do? Anything? Nothing. Hey, there's nothing too hard for our God to do. Absolutely nothing. He is the sovereign, almighty God. And he rules and reigns in majesty. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. And we who are the people of God, we've been taught by experience, haven't we, that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. We can look in our lives and we can see, we can testify of the Lord's goodness and the Lord's greatness just in things that have occurred in our lives. And we can testify that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Absolutely nothing. We've experienced it. And, and we've experienced it in the fact of our salvation, haven't we? We can't save ourselves. None of us can save ourselves. It's impossible. But there's nothing that's impossible for our Lord, right? He said with, with man, these things are impossible about saving ourselves. But he said with God, all things are possible. So the fact that we're saved, we who believe, is a testimony to the fact that God can do whatever he pleases. He can do anything. Anything he wants. And there's nothing too hard for him to do. Nothing. He, does, he never finds himself in a situation where he goes, well, I can't fix this. It's too broke. Think how broken we were. Dead in trespasses and sins. Without hope. Right? Born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We're fixed, aren't we? And we're, we're now fixed in the, in, in the way that we are now fit to be in the presence of God. We were, we were not fit before. But the Lord's taken care of that, hasn't he? By his almighty power. We praise his mighty name for that. And what did he come here to do? What did the Lord come here to do? Did he come here to set an example? Did he come here to try to do everything he could to save sinners and then say, well, you know, the rest is up to you? Did he do that? No. He came here on a, a mission. Brother Tom, you were in the, in the forces. When you went out, you were on a mission to get that done, right? The Lord came here on a mission. He's the captain of the Lord's host. He's in charge of all the angels. All those beings just bow before him, the seraphims. He's in charge of them all. He's over them all. What power? One angel killed 100,000 men. What power? He said, I can call six legions of angels. That would destroy everybody on this earth. But he didn't, did he? Because he came here on a mission. He came here, what you said, sister, to save his people from their sins. That's why he came here. That was his mission, to purchase his bride. To purchase the ones whom the Father hath given him in eternity. And he was driven. You know what he was driven by? Now let, let us just sink in. He was driven by his eternal love for us. That's what he was driven by. He was driven by his eternal love for those who the Father gave him in eternity to come to this earth and to die for them. Now, I think about that. He, he was driven by his eternal love for me. And we say, how can it be, right? How can it be? But it's a fact. He says, he says uh, I loved you before you loved me. And the reason we love him is because he loved us first. So he was driven by eternal love to come to this earth to give his life as a ransom for our souls by the shedding of his precious, precious blood. That drove him to come here. He was bound in the covenant, right? The covenant of grace. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so he comes into this world. What a savior. What a redeemer. The one true living God. And he did this for you, if you're a believer, and he did this for me. Again, all because of his eternal love for us. We who are the born-again, blood-washed people of God, he loved us, and because he loved us from eternity, he came into this world to go to the cross to save his people from their sins. And praise God, he accomplished that, didn't he? It's done. The work's finished. See, man is so trying to work their way to heaven, and it's impossible for man to work their way to heaven. We rest our eternal souls on the merit of Christ and Christ alone, don't we? Nothing we can do. All of what he's done. So let's look at this passage in Isaiah 7. And knowing that 
Christ was moved by his eternal love for his bride, for his people, those the Father had given him eternity, to come to this world, to come to the very uh, place that he created. And we know he was despised and rejected. And the world still despises him and rejects him. I was amongst them before the Lord saved me, and so were you. Mine. How can it be, we sing, right? How can it be, right? <laughs> that God would love a soul like me. Oh, how can it be? Because of his eternal love. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 7. We'll read verses 10 to 22. More of the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou, thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The land, or the Lord, shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come. From the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. And it shall come pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come. Look at that. He has control over everything. He has control over everything, beloved. And they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, and the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give he sh that they shall give he shall eat butter. For butter and honey shall every one eat that is left in the land. Look at verses 14 and to 16 again. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. That's Jehovah. Shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. So what a miracle we have brought forth here before us in this text. A virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive. Norm Wells and I were talking on the phone yesterday, and he was, we were talking about different scriptures, and he brought up the fact that Robert Hawker had mentioned that Mary was a virgin when she had Christ, and she was still a virgin after she had Christ. Because that which was conceived in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. See, we don't think of that kind of stuff, do we? I just sat back and he goes, man, Robert Hawker's amazing to bring out those facts. It's just incredible. My, oh, my. But here before us, we have the virgin birth body here before us. We have a miracle in our text. This is a miraculous and mighty work of God. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin. And this is speaking when it says Emmanuel there. Uh, you know, you read commentators, and they got all these different ideas. It's just crazy. This is speaking of Christ. And this is speaking of Christ alone. Emmanuel. God with us is the meaning of the very word Emmanuel. God with us. My People get so caught, isn't it funny? People can get so caught up in different things and different theories and just lose the whole meaning of the passage. 
My. So this is speaking of no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And today I'd like us to consider three points from our text. First, the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. Second, secondly, the food. And thirdly, the name of Christ. So let's begin with the birth of Christ. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. What an astonishing sign we have here before us. This is an astonishing sign. A virgin shall conceive without, without the use of natural means of reproduction. A son shall be born without the intervention of a human father. And this wonderful child shall be called by a, by a name very significant. A name above all names. His name shall be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God in one person. God and man in one person. What the theologians like to call the hyperstatic union. We just call him the God-man. He's the God-man. He's 100% God. And he's 100% man. This is why this birth is so miraculous. There's no human father. My. So let our minds go unto Bethlehem. Let our minds go unto Bethlehem, as the shepherds did, and, and see this thing which has come to pass. Let us behold lying in the manger, God incarnate in the flesh. God incarnate in the flesh. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. God incarnate in the flesh. The, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, incarnate in the flesh. Wonder of wonders. God has become a man. Why? Why would God do that? Well, God can't die, can he? So God becomes a man that he might die to satisfy his own law and justice in our place. Isn't that amazing? And again, he's driven by his eternal love for us to do this. Here we are, 2,000 years later, we look back and we're in awe. But you know, all this was planned and purposed from eternity. Bye. We're finite beings trapped in time, aren't we? We'll be released. We'll be released one day, though. We will be. We'll be in the presence of our king. We'll be outside of time and space one day when the Lord's pleased to take us home. And what a day that'll be. So let us behold, lying in the manger, God incarnate in the flesh, again, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. Let us see the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, Emmanuel, with us in a body prepared by the Father. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, this is speaking of Christ, he saith, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Look at that. A body has thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will. This book testifies of Christ from the beginning to the end. It speaks of him. But we see here that God has prepared a body for Christ, for the word of God, for the second person of the Trinity. And God would have the sacrifices and offerings continue only for a time until Christ came. After Christ came, there's no more need for any sacrifices. None. None at all. That's why there's no need to rebuild the temple in Israel. Because those sacrifices would be an abomination to our great God. You got so many people, they all want to rebuild this temple. There's no need for it. 
Christ is the final sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. And any sacrifice that would be offered would be an abomination again in the eyes of the Lord. Because all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, who did they picture? They pictured Christ. They pictured the one here born of a virgin. The seed of the woman prophesied in Genesis. The seed of the woman. And God would never accept any sacrifice for sinners except for the sacrifice of Christ. This is what makes it so wondrous. And therefore, by God's divine will and purpose, which was from eternity, he clothed Christ in a human body, prepared by the Holy Spirit, that Christ might obey the law and suffer for sin in the place of chosen sinners. Called the elect in the scriptures. Called the sheep of God. And we who are his people are in awe and wonder in the fact that we're included in that number. And it's a number that no man can number. Don't let people deceive you. No, we, we couldn't even number the number. But God knows every single one of his sheep, doesn't he? He knows every one. The Father knows every one of the sheep he gave to Christ. Christ knows every single one of the sheep he died for. And the Holy Spirit knows every one of the sheep he's going to fetch. There won't be one missing. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. So keep praying for your family members and your friends. We don't know who the Lord's people are. Keep praying for your family members. Keep praying for your friends. Keep praying for your co-workers. Oh, Lord, if it be your will, grant them faith to believe on you. Please, Lord. Oh, my. So marvel at the prophecy here in Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah, more than 700 years before the coming of Christ, speaks of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and declared who he is. He declared who he is right in the text, didn't he? Emmanuel. God with us. He's declared who he is right there. Right in the text. And this is proof of the mysterious union of his nature, God and, and man in one person. And again, note the miraculous conception. As the text says, says here, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This expression is unparalleled, even in sacred writ, of no other woman could it be said of, except for Mary. And of no other man could it be written that his, his mother was a virgin. And we see Mary here identified as the virgin. We know that. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Look at this. We'll see here Mary identified as the virgin, but we'll also see, we'll also see who's identified, who will be born of the virgin. So we saw in the Old Testament there the prophecy of it, right? Behold, a virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son. Some might say, well, who is that son? Who is it? Look at here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Now, the birth of Christ was on the wise. When in his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my. This is a miraculous conception. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He thought maybe she had stepped out. How else could she be pregnant? Right? But oh no. Look what it says. But while he thought on these things, behold the angel, and, and think of this, that would be troubling for him, wouldn't it? This is his, this is his, Say this is the one who he's, he's a spouse to. He already has love for her. And he's a spouse to her, and all of a sudden he finds out she's pregnant. And it says here that he was thinking on these things. Well, any of us would in that situation as men, wouldn't we? Yes, 
It says, Behold. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my. This is an incredible conception. Christ is conceived of the Holy Ghost. A body was prepared, remember? Fully man. Fully man. And she shall bring forth a son. Now look, he's going to be identified. Here we see, so we've seen the virgins being identified. It's Mary, right? Now, look at this. We know that in the Old Testament, his name is Emmanuel. In the portion we looked at, which means God with us, right? Now we see, as I mentioned earlier, he was on a mission, wasn't he? Look why he came. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name what? Jesus. There he's identified, right there. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. Whether people believe it or not, the scriptures declare it. He's God. He's, he's the one conceived of, of the Holy Spirit of God and born of a virgin. There's no arguing about it. If people want to argue about it, they're calling God a liar, aren't they? That's a serious thing. That's a serious thing. Look at this. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he what? Shall. Oh, don't you love that word? He shall. There's no doubt. He shall. What, what shall he do? He shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. He saved my soul. He saved your soul if you're a believer. My, oh my. He did it. He shall save his people from their sins. And do you notice? <clears throat> do you notice it doesn't say, he shall save his people when they accept him? Now, do we run to Christ? Do we flee them? Absolutely we do. But who's doing all the work? He shall save his people. He has obtained eternal salvation for us. He did it all. That's why he came into this world. To save his people from their sins. And he accomplished that. How do we know? It is finished. Oh, my! <laughs> finished means finished, beloved! There's nothing for us to do but simply to look to our Savior. Wonder of wonders. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved his people from their sins. And it says here, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. He's identified right there in the New Testament, isn't he? prophesied in the Old Testament over 700 years before his birth and manifested right here before us in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Which being interpreted as what? God with us. Oh my. Now the Greek word and the Hebrew word are both very expressive of the true and, and real virginity of Mary. To show us that Christ was born of a woman and not of man. We saw he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And God had ordained this to be, that his son should be sent forth, born of a woman. The seed of the woman, which was the first promise. He's not the seed of man. He's the seed of woman. Therefore, he does not inherit the sin nature which we inherit from our fathers, which... When you go all the way back, we all inherit from Adam. So marvel here, he has come to bruise the serpent's head to save his people from their sins. And marvel at the divine wisdom that's brought before us here in this text. That Jesus Christ should be the son of woman and not of man. Again, we're born of Adam, naturally. Our generations go all the way back to him. And we've inherited all his frailties. We've inherited his sin nature. 
We've inherited the infirmities which man from his birth has. And we are what? We're conceived in sin, aren't we? We're seed of the man. But he's seed of the woman. He's not born of man. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Virgin Mary. And Christ stands as one man. And marvel. Marvel that who came forth. He's pure. He's perfect. He's sinless. His name is Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. Absolutely sinless. No son or daughter of Adam could ever say that we're sinless. No. Everyone who's of the seed of Adam are born sinners. And the Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven. Remember that too. We're born into this world. He came in. He, he came from above into this world. His beginning wasn't when he was born. Our beginning was when we were born. His, he's, he's, he's always been from everlasting. And he came into this world. And he was born of Mary. God incarnate in the flesh. Marvel at this fact that God tabernacled amongst man. That as you and I see each other, he tabernacled amongst men and women. Isn't that amazing? He labored when he was young. And then he called his disciples and he walked among people like you and I walk amongst people. He was... Holy a man, fully a man. When they got hungry, he went to the, the market <laughs> and purchased things to eat. He's just like us. And yet, he's God incarnate in the flesh. Absolutely sinless. Spotless. Perfect. The total opposite of us. He tabernacled amongst men and women. He spoke to them. He spoke to men and women. They did not know who he was. Think of this. <clears throat> he who spoke the worlds into existence spoke to those around him. Like you and I do. Wonder of wonders. He who fastened the pillars of the universe and riveted the nails of creation. He who counts the stars came to this world to save his people from their sins. Wonder of wonders. This is amazing grace right here before us in this text. This is amazing grace. Just the birth of Christ is amazing grace. Fact that God became a man. Why? Again, to save his people from their sins, and he also came here to establish a perfect righteousness, didn't he? Because all our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. But he comes here, not only to die for those who he loves, he's not just driven by his, his love, he, he's driven by his love to die for them, but he's also driven by his love for his people to weave a perfect coat of righteousness that they shall be clothed in forever. My. And he did it willingly. He left heaven. He did it willingly. He left willingly. Wonder of wonders. And our Lord's birth, our Lord's birth was, was a humble birth, right? He's born king and yet he's born in a stable. He's not born in the palace halls. He's not even born in the governor's house of Bethlehem, is he? He's king. And he comes born in a manger. Born in a stable. He's not clothed in purple. 
They used to clothe. They used to clothe kings in purple, and deck out deck out the the royalty in purple. He's not clothed in purple. He's clothed in swallowing clothes. His mom and dad have have very little. Very little. My oh my. Or his mom and Joseph have very little. Very little. So our Lord's birth was a humble birth. There's no golden cradle for him, is there? I imagine a, a, a prince would be put in a, the fanciest cradle they could find. Do we not put our kids, the, we get a nice cradle for our kids, right? Put them in there, make sure they're safe. Well, think of a king, he could afford anything. Fancy cradle, put them in. Lord doesn't have that. He's lying in a manger. King of kings and Lord of lords. Palace halls were not blessed by his footsteps. No, he grew up in a small village. Poor village. And even Bethlehem. Again, he was not born in the governor's house, was he? He wasn't born in the governor's house or in a mansion or the chief man of Bethlehem. No. No, he was born in a manger. And then think of, think of how low he stooped. Think of how low he stooped, beloved. He's, he's in glory being worshipped by angels. They're falling down before him and crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which is and which was and which is to come. My. They're giving him all the glory and he comes into this world and there's only shepherds there, isn't there? And Mary and Joseph. And he's born king, though. He's, he's the one who appeared before Joshua, clothed in armor with a sword in his hand. And there's all these angels, and he says, Nay, but as the captain of the Lord's host, I've come. Oh, what a mighty warrior he is. And here he is. A babe. Born in the man. Oh, how low our Lord stooped that he would be girded with humility and stoop so low. Why would he bend to such a lowly birth? And if he bowed, why, why should he submit not simply to become the son of poor parents but to be born in such a miserable place? Oh, let us take courage. If the Lord Jesus Christ was born in a manger, why should not he come and live in our stony, rocky hearts? It's wonderful, isn't it? If he was born in poverty, why, why should he not come to the poor in spirit? Those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Those who have been made to see that they're poor in spirit, and yet rich in Christ. Sinners before God, and yet rich in Christ. If he endured humiliation at the first, will he count it any dishonor to come to the very poorest and humblest of his creatures and tabernacle in the souls of his children? No. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So what a great lesson we have. A great lesson of comfort here before us from his humble birth and the fact that he came here to save his people from their sins. What comfort the sinner can find in Christ, in Christ alone. And if you do not know him, there's no hope for you outside of Christ. There's no hope for anyone outside of Christ. None. No hope at all. But Christ came here to save sinners. The question is, are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Is God showing you that you're a sinner before God? And if he has, give him all the glory. 
And if he hasn't, our prayer is that the Lord would show you that. That you'd be born again of the Holy Spirit of God and given faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the scripture says, thou shalt be saved. Why? Because he saved us 2,000 years ago, beloved. Because he was born to come into this world to die on Calvary's cross to save his people from their sins. And that's a fact. That's a fact. Let's read our scriptures again here. Oh, our great Savior, he came to this earth to save sinners, to save the eternal souls of chosen sinners. Look at our text again. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now this second thing that I'd like us to look at is the fruit of Christ. Now this perplexed me, I'll be honest with you. When I was studying this, this, this perplexed me, but I got some light from Spurgeon and Gill and some of the others, Hawker, about this. And this was fascinating. I found it fascinating. We see in verses 15 and 16 the humanity of Christ brought forth. The humanity of our king brought forth. Look, butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest, shall be forsaken of both her kings. When our Lord would convince his disciples that he was flesh and not spirit, he took a a piece of boiled fish, didn't he? And a honeycomb. And ate his other's day. He said, handle me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. This testifies, beloved, of our Lord's humanity. We are told here that he ate butter and honey, just as other men did. Just as other men did. Other men are nourished by food. When you and I, men and women, when we we eat food, we're nourished, aren't we? See, he's fully human. He has to feed his body, doesn't he? So again, it shows us the humanity of Christ, that he was really a man. Really a man. And yet he's fully God. He's fully man, and yet he's fully God. In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make what? Reconciliation for the sins of the people. He came here to reconcile us to God. How? By dying for us on Calvary's cross. Again, he was born to die. We're born and we live. He was born to die. He was born to go to Calvary's cross and die in the room and place of his people. Therefore, we're told that he ate butter and honey to teach us that he was actually a real man who afterwards died on Calvary's cross. And then I found this out too. Butter and honey teach us that that Christ was to be born in times of peace because such products are not always found in Judea in the times of strife. The ravages of war sweep away all the, fair, all the fair fruits of industry, one commentator said. The unwatered pastures yield no grass, and therefore could, there could be no butter. And the bees make their hive and lion's carcass, And there may be honey there, but if the land is in turmoil with war, there's no one to go collect it, is there? Because no one's going to go out and lose their head for some honey. And how shall the babe eat butter when its mother flees away, even in the wintertime, when the child's clinging to her breast? In times of war, we have no choice of the food, do we? In World War II, there were certain foods you could get, and there were certain foods you could only get a little bit of. They were rationed. And there were some things you couldn't get. 
because there was a time of war and there was a great need. There was a great need. So we see that. And let us thank our Lord that we live in the land of peace. So we see a mystery here in the fact that our, our Lord was born in a time of peace. Now, the king of prince came to the temple of Jerusalem. Augustus Caesar was emperor, emperor of the world, and none other ruled it. And therefore, the wars had ceased. So it was a time of peace. The earth was still. The leaves quivered not upon the trees from the field of battle. There was quiet. My. And Christ, even while he was a babe, even while he lived upon butter and honey, knew the evil from the good. He's, he's perfect from, a, from conception. He's fully man, and yet he's absolutely sinless. He was like no other child either. How do we know he was like no other child? Well, think of this. When his, when his parents went up to uh, Jerusalem, our Lord went to the temple. Now, what would other kids be doing at that age? What was I doing at 12? What were you doing at 12? We'd be out playing, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be sitting in the temple, would we? See, he's like no other child. He's in the temple because he understood the mysteries of God. And he was not found again like other children playing about the courts or the markets, but he was sitting among doctors, both hearing and asking them questions. This is no ordinary child. One commentator says he was a mastermind. Spurgeon actually said he was a mastermind. He was a genius. Because how do we know that? How do we know that? The scriptures say never a man spake like this. People had never heard anybody like him. <laughs> Why? Because he's God incarnate in the flesh. There's no one like, that's our master, beloved. That's our redeemer. That's our savior. That's our great God. Never a man spake like this. No one. No one ever spoke like him. My, oh my. And how sweet are the words of the master to the believer. His words are like sweet like honeycomb to us, aren't they? Sweet like honeycomb. The believer cries, thy words, O Christ, are like honey, sweet Jesus. Every word of thine is precious to my soul. No honey can with thee compare. Now, honey's very sweet, isn't it? Oh, my. I've gotten some real nice honey in my life, and I'll tell you what. It's sweet. It tastes so good. It's nothing compared to the words of our master, is it? Nothing. Oh. Number three, last point. We're closed with the name of Christ. Look at our text again in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Now consider this wonderful name. This is one of our master's names in the scriptures. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a name. What a name. Now, Back in the days of biblical times, they used to give their children names with meaning. Oh, no other name compares to this name. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. My. There was Cain. He's, his mom said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And his mother called him his name Cain, which means gotten or acquired. There was Seth that is appointed. For his mother has said, God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Noah means best or comfort. Ishmael was so called by his mother because God heard her, her, heard her laugh. And Isaac was called laughter because, because he brought laughter to Abraham's house. And we see here Christ is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we saw who was identified, didn't we, in the New Testament. We saw, we saw this child identified, and his name is Jesus. 
Therefore, we can conclude that Christ is God with us. God with us. God incarnate in the flesh. He who hung the stars. He who keeps everything together. Everything in order. Became a man. Became a man. Oh, let this wonderful, wonderful name ring in our souls. Emmanuel. God with us. That's his name. That's one of his titles. God with us. God with us how? By his incarnation. By his birth. The creator of the world. The let this the creator of the world walked upon this earth. He who just spoke it all into existence walked on this earth and, and marvel at his power. Remember that storm they were caught up in? He says, peace be still. And they marveled. Who is this man that even the waves obey him? Oh, he's God incarnate in the flesh. Everything is at his command. Now you see that when he gave his life up, how incredible it was. He could have struck them all dead just like that. Those men who nailed him to that cross. He didn't even have to call legions of angels down. He could have just wiped out everyone, couldn't he? But he didn't. Because he came here to save his people from their sins. And how must he save his people from their sins? He must die. He must shed his precious blood. He must redeem them. He must purchase them with his precious, precious blood. God with us. And think of this. He who made 10,000 worlds. We don't, even, we don't even know the number, do we? They keep finding more and more and more, don't they? How vast this world is. How vast the creation is. All the stars. Look up at night. And that's just a fraction of the stars we're seeing at night. He made them all. And think of this. Compared to all that, this earth is just a speck of his creation, isn't it? It's just a speck. This world, compared to all that he's made, is like a little wee piece of dust that we see floating in the windows. And he came here to this little speck to save his people from their sins. That's amazing. That's truly, truly amazing. It really is. It's incredible. He who is from everlasting stepped into time. He who is neither constrained by time or space stepped into time. He made time. He made all the constraints of this world. And he steps into this world to redeem his people from their sins. He comes from everlasting. And, he, and he, he, he comes to this world and he's God with us. Has he lost that name? Nope. He's not lost that name at all, has he? Nope. So take comfort. Take comfort. You who are the beloved of God, because he is now God with us. Is he not with us every step we take? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Others may leave you in your life. Others may forsake you. Sometimes close friends and sometimes close family. They may forsake you. But Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in the Greek, that's never, not ever, ever. That's comfort, isn't it? God with us. We're never alone. We're never alone, beloved. The Savior is ever with his people. Put us in the desert, alone, and we can still say God with us. Right? We can still say that. Put us in the ocean, out in the middle of nowhere, and we can still say God with us. He's with us. 
He's not left us. Go to the bottom of the sea or, or parts that, are, that you can't even measure. He's still down there, isn't he? <laughs> God with us. He's everywhere with his people. He's always with us. Always. Fly high above the earth. We fly in planes, don't we? We're flying on these planes going from one end to the other of the country. He's still with his people the whole time. Isn't that wonderful? What comfort. What comfort. He's with his people at all times. In happy times, he's with us. In times of sorrow and grief, he's with us. In times of trouble and distress, he's with us. In times of sickness, he's with us. He's here with us today. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's God with us. He's not lost that title, has he? He's with this work. We're going forward. He's with us. This is his church. Belongs to him. We belong to him as his people, don't we? And he's with us. What comfort we can glean from that. It's absolutely wondrous. My, oh, my. I ask you, you who are the people of God, do you know what God with us means? Has God been with you in your tribulations? Always, eh? Always. Have you been comforted by the Holy Spirit of God through trials and tribulations? That's God with us. Has God been with you in searching the scriptures and he just lights something up and you just rejoice over it? Or you just get a blessing hearing the gospel preached? That's his doing. That's his doing, beloved. God with us. God, God's people know what the, what the word Emmanuel means, don't we? We've experienced it. We don't, we've never seen him. But we know he's ever with us. One day we will see him by the grace of God and God, the grace of God alone. Oh, may our great God teach us this week the meaning of the name Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Let us close with this thought, this word again, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What a sweet, sweet word. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. He's the, listen to this, one, one person wrote this. Tis the sufferer's comfort. Tis the balm of their woe. Tis the relief of their misery. Tis the sleep which God gives to his beloved. Tis their, tis their rest at all times. That's what he is to us. He's our rest at all times, isn't he? God with us. Tis eternity's sonnet. Tis heaven's hallelujah. Tis the shout of the glorified. Tis the song of the redeemed. Tis the everlasting song of the great orchestra of the sky, God with us. God with us. Hail Emmanuel, all divine, in thee thy Father's glory shine, thou brightest, fairest one, that eyes have seen or angels know. There's no one like Emmanuel.